Human Events Daily is powered by Turning Point USA, and we've got a couple announcements of things that are going on at TPUSA that I wanted to put on your radar. First up, we just had our most recent debate night. Go and check this out. It's Charlie Kirk facing off with an Antifa professor, Rachel Bittekoffer. This thing is wild. And uh, as you can imagine, the discussion got extremely heated. So go check that out on Turning Point USA's YouTube page. Next. The Young Women's Leadership Summit. This is coming up, guys, June 2nd to the 4th, Dallas, Texas. Make sure you get your tickets. I believe it's about 3,000 seats in the venue. This has really grown to become one of the biggest turning point events that's held all year. So what do you do? TPOSA.com slash YWLS. And then finally, the TPOSA Socialism Sucks series is back with a brand new episode. Go and check it out. Learn the truth about the origins and the propaganda ploys of China's greatest lie, the CCP's greatest lie in COVID-19 with the one and only Joe Bob. Check that out. And the new episode, I Hear, the next episode of that series, is coming up very soon. So check it out. TBOSA Socialism Sucks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today's top stories. First, a ground update as the war in Ukraine enters day 28. Next, Judge Jackson's confirmation hearing day three. Looks like she's stumbling a little bit out of the gate as the conservatives are putting up a strong uh, counter response to her third. Finally, a shade war update. I know you guys have been looking for this. We've finally got another one for you between Vice President Harris and President Biden. And finally, Project Veritas says that the DOJ has secretly been spying on their emails and communications. We're going to break it all down, all this and more ahead, Human Events Daily. I'll even blame people like Lindsey Graham, who is begging for war every single night on the television. Um, These are the people that gave the Ukrainian people the false hope. And now you see Ukraine uh, just kept poking the bear and poking the bear, which is Russia. And Russia invaded. And, And the truth is, and this is the hard truth to accept, there is no win for Ukraine here. Uh, Russia is being very successful in their invasion, even though we hear different things on television. They, the things that we see and we know that are actually happening there doesn't, I don't see a way out for Ukraine. All right, and that's Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene offering her take of quite a heterodox take on the entire position. So let's break down now. Of course, we're going back to the French Ministry of Defense and their latest update, their their latest briefing on what's happening on the ground. First, strong pressure on the urban centers of the east and south of Ukraine is being maintained by intense shelling, in particular the cities of Mariupol and Mykolaiv. I've also seen assessments out there that as much as 70% of Mariupol has now fallen to Russia, has now become part of uh, Russian-controlled territory. Next, the elsewhere, the tactical situation does remain fixed on the northern front, in Kyiv, the encirclement maneuver from the west and east has essentially been frozen, Has they have not acquired, but we're now seeing flooding of the European River from a dam that was blown up early on. This is now blocking the Russian advance, but also that flooding, of course, is going into these civilian areas. So the whole battlefield, potentially, that you could have seen um, the two sides fighting through has now been flooded. And of course, you've got people there, you've got armed forces there, and now everybody has to deal with this flooding situation because the dam was blown up very early 
early on, the early days of this campaign. On the eastern front in Kharkiv, the Russian forces continued to maneuver to encircle the city in parallel with numerous shelling in that central city of Diperno, the center city of the entire Dnepr River. The city remains a likely focal point for Russian forces from the south and east. Remember, we've talked about the importance. If they can get the city of Diperno, that will enable them to essentially control the Dnepr River from the north to the south. Now down in Mariupol again, the rejection of the Russian ultimatum. So Russia had said, they put out this ultimatum, they said, surrender the city, surrender, lay down your arms, and the fighting will stop. We will stop the advance. That was rejected by the Ukrainian side. So what does this mean? The start of an urban offensive. And the French Ministry of Defense says in their assessment, Ukrainian forces will not be able to escape because they do not have an evacuation corridor. Also, there's no way for Kiev to be able to cut through the Russian lines to be able to resupply them or bring reinforcements to the defenders of Mariupol. On the southern front, the southern front, we've seen advances a little bit between the cities of Zaporizhzhia, which is 90 kilometers south of Diperno, and Krivi Ri, 140 kilometers southwest of Diperno. And keep in mind, those cities, that's on the western bank of the Dnieper River, again, explaining the importance of the Dnieper. And then finally, in the city of Mykolaiv, shelling and fighting are still intense for control of the city and its surroundings. Now, yesterday on the show, we played a clip of Professor John Mearsheimer. And he said something very similar to what Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene said in, in the clip that we played today. And so we got some comments in, some people saying, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Got a comment from a guy I served with in the IC, said, thank you so much for playing Mearsheimer, but also got some comments from people saying, well, wait, I don't understand what Mearsheimer is saying. How can he say that America provoked this? Didn't Russia invade Ukraine? Well, it's one of those situations where it depends on where you start the story. Are you starting the story in chapter 15 or are you going all the way back to chapter one and as they say past is prologue so there is a massive prologue that goes back for years and years up to this but let me explain it with an analogy and analogies are never perfect but let me try to explain it because they can become they can help us to view things in a different position let's say the country of mexico had a revolution certainly we could see that it wouldn't be hard to see and let's say that revolution was backed by the CCP. And then the CCP installed an, their own regime in the government of Mexico, right there in Mexico City. And then that same regime was arming up, was talking about positioning Chinese missiles and talking about even positioning Chinese forces in Mexico right on the border with the United States of America. Would the United States respond? Should the United States respond? Now, I'm not saying that's exactly a one-to-one -one analogy or a one-to-one -one metaphor for what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now, but that's how the Kremlin looks at it, that's how the Russians look at it, and that's what Mearsheimer is trying to explain. We need to look at the way we are viewed and the way our actions in Ukraine have been viewed by the Kremlin as highly provocatory and, in their instance, they view it as a threat. Ladies and gentlemen, after serving in the military, I know what it feels like to have life change in an instant. So I wanted to tell you about a new product that we're partnering with, and that's called MyMedic. MyMedic was born when a tragic car accident claimed the life of a man because the well-intentioned bystanders had no first aid supplies or training. They watched and waited 25 helpless minutes for emergency medical personnel to arrive, and as they stood by, 
the man succumbed to his injuries. It was an unnecessary tragedy, and his family then went and created MyMedics. What is MyMedic? MyMedic's goal is to empower people with the necessary skills, knowledge, and first aid supplies to save lives. They have a mission. Their signature product is called the MyFac Pro, and this is not your typical box of bandages. It, it is a first aid kit that comes with over 100 quality first aid and trauma supplies, including a tourniquet, chest seals, quick clot, and more. With this kit from MyMedic, you will become more prepared to treat everything from basic cuts all the way up to a gunshot wound. MyMedic is built in the U.S. and it is guaranteed for life. You don't want to go out in today's world without one. So what do you do? You go to MyMedic.com and you will get 15% off the MyFact Pro plus a life-saving online course, an actual training course, absolutely free with promo code POSO. Be prepared. Be confident. Go to MyMedic.com. That is MyMedic.com, promo code POSO. When does life begin? In your opinion, Senator, um, I don't know, <laughs> ma'am. I don't know. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, I can't. You can't. N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. So those are the words of Judge. Katanji Brown-Jackson in this contentious hearing, which I really have to hand it to the conservatives in this because it seemed like this was on autopilot, this entire nomination up until the point where Senator Josh Hawley started actually doing the work of looking at her record when it came to these cases involving child pornography distributors and possessors, these traffickers in child porn. And when he started picking away at, and keep in mind, it's, it's certainly about these specific individuals, but it's actually about something quite larger than this, because we're talking about someone here who's going to get a lifetime appointment to the highest court in our land, the highest court in our country, someone who potentially could set the tone for years to come for the United States. And we've seen, by the way, and I was on Tim Pool last night, we talked about this with Emily Jashinsky from The Federalist, and she's done fantastic work on all of the KBJ hearing, actually interviewed Marsha Blackburn before Marsha Blackburn got up and had that just incredible exchange about, you know, can you define what a woman is? No, I can't. I'm not a biologist. Well, guess what? I'm not a biologist. I can define what a woman is. It's an adult female human being. Simple, very simple, very obvious, right? But we're starting to peel back the layers of her record and understand who she is as a person, but more importantly, what animates her judicial philosophy and get a view into how she could potentially rule on so many of these pressing social issues. And think about this, going back to the 1970s, what has happened in the United States? Well, it's very simple. See, some people still believe that the constitution is how we run things and how our government works, but other people kind of notice that the, seemed, the people that seem to have the most power are the President of the United States, the Supreme Court, and unelected bureaucrats like Dr. Fauci, who basically ran the country by edict for almost two full years. Because this is what's happened in the U.S. We've, Congress has basically abrogated their policy and their power to these institutions. So they've 
abrogated it. And this is a very Wilsonian formulation. This was something that President Woodrow Wilson talks about very clearly. He talked, he called it the organic state or the permanent state, the administrative state, the civil, whatever you want to call it, right? And it's this sort of um, amalgamation of the bureaucracy and academia working together to take the sovereignty of the government, but really making the decisions outside of the electoral representative process and then having the president and Congress just kind of rubber stamp whatever they want. This is also where you get the power of the national security state. And you can see, by the way, how so many of these academic institutions are tied directly in with our national security state and these national security agencies. On the flip side, you see the exact same thing with the judiciary branch, right? So you can see people moving back and forth between uh, having a judgeship or serving as a professor. They go back and forth and there's no representative touch point. And so you can get somebody who comes up through this far left judicial activist, woke CRT, you know, anti-energy, pro-criminal justice reform, soft on child pornography traffickers. And it all makes sense because inside that bubble, inside that echo chamber, inside that ivory tower of the academy, all of those things are promoted. But suddenly when you're faced with sort of the normal part of America and you ask these basic questions about why did you only give this pedophile three months in jail why can't you tell me what you believe when it comes to the conception of life? When does life begin? Why can't you define what a woman is? Some of these basic, normal questions. And then we get uh, on the outside of this, this incredible list of far left, some of the furthest left groups and richest groups, well-funded groups in America are promoting her nomination. Groups like Demand Justice. Uh, Arabella Advisors, by the way, that demand justice, they're the same people who are trying to fight to pack the court, these massive progressive dark money groups, the Open Society Center, funded, of course, by our favorite Hungarian billionaire. Uh, they are cheering this on. There's other groups, American Atheists, the Human Rights Council, NARAL, Planned Parenthood, National Education Association, and of course, the discredited Southern Poverty Law Center. These are some of the furthest left groups in America that are backing her. Why are they doing this? Because they want a radical on the court. They, they are trying to portray her as if she's some kind of, you know, down the middle of the road, moderate. She's someone that, you know, conservatives and liberals should get on board with, but she's not. She's simply not. Hawley is the one that really broke the story. And now as we dig further and further into her record, we are finding that she is a far left radical progressive she believes in critical race theory. She believes in criminal justice reform. And she has this idea that criminals are somehow the victims and victims themselves don't matter. Guys, I don't need to tell you about the fragile state of the US dollar in our world today and what it means for you. We told you we're in for a tough year and we're already into it. We've seen the printing, the spending of the Fed, Biden, the catastrophes on the horizon for the U.S. dollar, the petrodollar, the markets. Now, we patriots know that Bidenflation is the real pandemic, and it is about to get worse. If you understand that the U.S. dollar is being threatened as the world reserve currency, you need to diversify with gold and silver now. And the only company that I recommend is Allegiance Gold. 
My friends at Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold or silver and have it delivered securely right to your door. They will educate you on the benefits of physical gold because they care and want to build a long-term relationship. Allegiance Gold has the highest rating from third-party consumer protection agencies. Five stars with TrustLink. They are AAA rated with the Business Consumer Alliance, and they have an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. You get $500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase when you tell them that POSO sent you. So do not wait. Take action. Call. Click today. Where do you go? AllegianceGold.com slash POSO. We cannot control the Biden administration or world affairs, but we can prepare and keep our families fiscally secure. AllegianceGold.com slash POSO. Vice President Kamala Harris, everyone's favorite vice president. Well, she's back in the news. And why is she in the news? Quite simple, folks. We have finally for you at long last, backed by popular demand, a Shade War update. The governor and I, and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. So this is all coming out via excerpts of a new book by two New York Times reporters. And this is amazing because I remember when we first started doing on Human Events Daily, the Shade War updates, and people said, you know, Poso doesn't have a source in the White House. He's not talking to people who understand what's going on in the vice president's office and the president's office. The, you know, these these crazy witch hunts that are going on by Ron Klain, the chief of staff, the battle between Ron Klain and Tina Florney, who is the vice president's chief of staff. You know, Poso doesn't know what he's talking about. He's probably just gisting all of this. He's riffing off. This is QAnon stuff. Oh, well, look at this. Now we've got a book by New York Times reporters that's all about the shade war between President Biden and Vice President Harris. I know. I know that Human Events Daily will never get the credit that it deserves. But you, dear listener and dear viewer, are far ahead of the curve. And you're used to being ahead of the curve because you're smart. You listen to Human Events Daily, and then you sit there, and then a week or two later, when all your normie friends are like, hey, how did you know about all that stuff? You say, well, listen to Human Events Daily. It's as simple as that. So listen to this. A massive blow-up happened early on in the Biden administration between Biden and Harris over the Vogue cover. Do you remember that when they put uh, Vice President Harris on the cover of Vogue? Well, it was this huge disagreement. And here's what it says. Some of Harris's advisors believed the president was almost and almost entirely his his entirely white inner circle did not show the vice president the respect that she deserved, according to Martin and Burns. Harris was worried that Biden's staff looked down on her. She fixated on real and perceived snubs in ways that the West Wing found tedious. Harris even sent Flournoy, remember, that's Harris's chief of staff, out to scold Biden's staffers for not standing up when she entered the room the way they did for the president. The vice president took it 
as a sign of disrespect, according to the book. Flournoy reached out to Biden advisor Anita Dunn. Also early on in the administration, Harris's staff floated the possibility of the vice president overseeing relations with the Nordic countries, a low-risk diplomatic assignment that may have helped Harris get adjusted to the international stage in welcoming venues like Oslo and Copenhagen. White House and aides rejected the idea and privately mocked it. This is Team Biden. More irritating to the Biden aides was when they learned the vice president wanted to plan a major speech to outline her view of foreign policy. Team Biden vetoed the idea. Biden then tasked Harris with handling immigration, as we know, uh, the root causes in the Northern Triangle countries of Latin America, yet Harris was displeased, noting that Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala had been in Biden's portfolio when he was vice president under President Obama. Given outcries over a surge in migration, Harris' aides saw the assignment as politically undesirable. Harris then led a campaign publicly emphasizing that she was assigned to root causes, not the border itself. Folks, this is all coming out. All right, stuff that we were reporting in real time is exactly verbatim, word for word, now coming out in a new book by New York Times reporters. So my question is, do you guys actually have sources in the White House or are you just listening to human events daily and cribbing off of the stuff that we reported months and months ago? Because I got to tell you guys, it sounds like you're doing just a little bit, a little bit of copy and paste from Poso and the team here at Human Events Daily. All I can say is you're welcome. Project Veritas has just obtained documents showing the SDNY was spying on Project Veritas journalists well before the FBI raided the homes of our journalists last November, secretly reading our emails, concealing that from the court in our case against the SDNY. So more disturbing information coming out about the Department of Justice, particularly the Southern District of New York, and their persecution. That's what this clearly is, a persecution of Project Veritas, a journalistic organization, going after them. Now, uh, they were tipped off, basically, about this information that where they were being spied on for months electronically in ways they didn't even know about. They weren't even informed of any of this stuff. Apparently, and according to O'Keefe, they misled the judge in all of this. So, so let me back up a second and explain what's going on here. All of these documents now that are coming out that O'Keefe obviously knew about is private communications, private messages, private emails internal to his organization. This was all being spied on by the Department of Justice, and they were doing it behind the back of a judge that had ordered them not to do this because they were going after his lawyer. They were going after privileged documents. And you even now got groups like the ACLU coming out and saying, you know, of course, they have to play that game where they say, look, we don't like James O'Keefe. He's conservative and, and bad and rah, rah, rah. But the ACLU also pointed out that the precedent that is being set now by using Project Veritas as an example, going after them in a way that destroys our First Amendment protections here in the United States for freedom of the press is shocking and it sets a precedent that could be used against anyone. Now, what do I mean by that? Go look what's happening in Europe right now, right? There was a Russian YouTuber 
who was just arrested in Latvia. Why was he arrested? Well, they said, because we felt that you were pro-Russian. So, wait, that's not freedom of speech. Is that freedom of speech? The guy's sharing an opinion. I mean, I like his opinion. I mean, I agree with his opinion. But should he be arrested for it? Should he be censored for it? Should the government go after you for something like that? There was also a report out of Ukraine that a TikToker was just arrested after posting a position of a military emplacement at a shopping mall. And then the shopping mall, uh, turns out it was an abandoned shopping mall, but it was then destroyed by Russian missiles. So the TikToker got arrested because of that. The precedent that's being set now is that the government can do whatever they want. Now, obviously, I'm talking about separate countries, but understand the larger picture here. We've been talking before about this, that we are entering an era, and we're actually in the era of regime politics. And you might not agree with that. You may not think that that's what's happening, but wake up because that's what's going on right now. You are living in a regime. This isn't your grandfather's republic, the constitutional republic we thought we believed in, we thought that we lived in, we thought that we had, that had been constructed for us. That's not what you live in now. You live in an area where the government can do what they want and they will do what they will unless the people push back and call for it to stop. Hey, so that's all the time we have for today. Human Events Daily. Remember our promise, our oath, our solemn vow to you. Be good, be brief, be gone. And your homework for us, share this out with one, just one, just one. That's all I ask. One normie friend, and then leave us one review, and we hope that it'll be five stars. What did we talk about today? We gave you the ground war update. Today is day 28, the war in Ukraine. Next, we got into the stumbling of Judge Jackson in this confirmation hearing, and we talked about the shady far-left organizations that are backing her. We talked about the vindication of our shade war update reporting, and finally, we got into the authoritarian spying on Project Veritas from the Department of Justice. But before we go, it's time for today's history break. This is such a cool one. I had to talk about it. Today in 1839, the first recorded use of the phrase OK. Did you know what the phrase OK actually stands for? All correct. O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T. OK, guys. All correct. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore. <laughs>